This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. We're in a meal prep era, we're in a batch cooking era, we're in a time travel era here at Spooko. We're recording this, you know, on some date in the distant past compared to when you're listening to it. And who even knows when you might be hearing our voices traveling down the timeline. To, to explain what's happening with the timeline at the moment, and the reason why Peach is talking about this is because in our timeline, we mm. recorded this after the Totally Killer episode. But in your timeline, that episode was like weeks and weeks ago. So the world has changed a lot, but we haven't changed that much. Although we did change recently, but now we haven't. Yeah, like everything's all topsy-turvy. That change is undone, but only undone for a short period of time, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) It's a time of flux. And Shag, my like weird news that you sort of already know is that at the time you're listening to this, I might have, like, founded my own law firm. Insane. Uh, look, and it's it comes back to our point about capitalism, right, of, like, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And um, it's just currently that phase where people are like, hey, like, I've got some work to do when you're, like, starting up. And it's like, no, 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 I like, just wait. The thing hasn't started yet, so let's just relax. And you are paranoid of there not being enough work and all that sort of thing. And look, that's just normal business capitalist chat. Uh, join me on my other per- on my other podcast, self hating capitalism, um, <laughs> that Shag you and I can start at some stage soon. <laughs> but it's just led me to reflect on this really weird racket. Like all lawyers hate IT, and Shag just edit this out because now that I'm getting here, I'm like this could be pretty boring. <laughs> but. Like, lawyers tend to need software to, like, manage their documents and do billing and boring lawyer bullshit, right? Um, And every single one of these software providers is essentially, like, it's a lot like the mafia or a lot like if you're a drug dealer, the, like, corrupt cop you have to pay off. Because essentially once you start paying, once you enter into one of these arrangements of, like, Shag, congrats on your new new firm – let me just do, be a, provide the complete document management solution for you and your clients, right? Um, you know, you then make a down payment, you start making monthly payments, and when you hate it, like six months or 12 months in, you're like, hmm, shag, hmm, so not like it anymore. So, hmm, it'd be pretty bad if something were to happen to your documents. So, maybe we could just, maybe we can just keep our relationship going just a little bit further. What do you reckon? And it's like impossible to like get out of these relationships. And so, Look, I don't want to take too many shots at the legal software industry, a surprising number of members of whom listen to this podcast, but it's the worst industry of all, uh, including like gambling advertising and stuff like that. I don't know how you sleep at night. Uh, Love to all my uh, legal software producers out there. Can you take shots at a couple of the brand names or is that that something we can't do? They sort of take shots at themselves, you know, really. Like, I, uh, like, and, and also none is worse really than the others. And when you move firms, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. We've got this sort of software and not the good kind. And you can just, 
use all names interchangeably between all of them of like, oh, I used to have a place that did this and now it's that. And uh, like it just drives me mad. And now I'm going to be responsible for entering into one of these, you know, mafioso style relationships. And I've stayed alive to just enter into that kind of villainy. Things change, but things stay the Mm. same. And even Mm. on this fucked up timeline, friendship homework remains a big part of this podcast. Let's get it. Particularly you sending me videos that I need to find time in my day to watch. Do you sometimes watch them? Because I, I, I feel like sometimes you do, occasionally. <laughs> I do. I really do. Like, I would say I watch 70% of them. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Let's get it. Oh, like, I know we've sort of edged past our initial anecdote period, but, Chad, can I just travel back in time to one other thing that happened recently just to get your thoughts? Yeah, okay. Yeah, of course. Um, I went to a Paul McCartney concert. Um, mm-hmm. last night, and it was fine. It was fine. Like, you already know what it was. It was fine. Yeah, one um, of the founding members of Blink-182. Important <laughs> concert. <laughs> Did he play What's My Age Again? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know why. That's the funniest thing I've heard for a long time. <laughs> uh, I much preferred it when, like, who was the drummer? Like, who was the first drummer before, like, Travis Joyce? Scott. Oh, uh, Scott. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, he only had times. one speed. Yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. Super fast. Yeah. Eminem's fast. <laughs> Get ready for some fast drumming, anyway. But, like, there we were. And Paul McCartney, like, he's, you, you know, like, you in all likelihood know some of his songs, and that's fine. And then on one stage, like, one stage, like, here's a love song for my wife who's here. And it's like, yep, that's fine. And during the love song, there's a sort of Western beauty standards, um, uh, uh, conforming to Western beauty standards person doing um, sign lang- language on one like giant screen and doing the sign language for the first half of the song, I love you, let's smooch all day or whatever the lyrics are. Uh, and then the other uh, screen that has another prominent character flashed up performing sign language for another part of the song. And that character at like 50 meters tall. So what's that? Like a hundred feet tall. And these like monstrous screens is Johnny Depp. And it's like, Johnny Depp is being like televised, like directly in my face at this concert to do this love song. So Shag, I might just ask for your just flat response to that. Have you got any thoughts about whether, you know, like you're more of a music head than I am these days. If you were to go to a concert that was endorsed by Johnny Depp, how would that make you feel? I think, Johnny Depp is so beyond any sort of cultural relevance Mm. that the fact that Paul McCartney uses Johnny Depp as a, ooh, I'm going to use someone young and hip to, like, showcase something just kind of shows, like, something, like, I've been thinking about for a long time is, like, and we've talked about this on the pod before, you just have to kill your heroes at some point. At some point, you just have to update the classics. And, yes, like, I'm fine, like... No one's disputing what the Beatles did for music, but at some point it's like maybe there's other artists we should be packing out stadiums to see. And like did it, and with so actors, it it's like set. so so he may have redeemed himself, right? Yeah. Right. So like just before you before you hand in judgment. So Paul left the stage, and it was weird when he left the stage, the lights didn't turn on, so it was really <laughs> mysterious as to what was going to happen next. And when he did come back on with his band, they were carrying three flags, right? And one flag was an older v- version of what, in my ignorance, I'll refer to as the 
diversity flag or the earlier incarnation of the LGBTQI plus flag without yeah. what I understand is now officially a grey line that forms part of it. Yeah. Um, the grey line was not included. So my understanding is there's a degree of transphobia about that, but I'll just kind of leave that. So that's flag one um, that you might think of an 80-year-old's best intentions perhaps. Flag two is the Union Jack, the, just the flag okay. of England, the symbol of colonisation uh, travelling around the world, which is a that's an interesting flag to fly. Um, and another interesting flag to fly back in the distant past when the referendum on The Voice failed so recently is just the Australian flag, the one with the Union Jack in the corner and the stars on it. And I was like, this combined with Johnny Depp is the most awkward shit. And the crowd, and we're in a regional place called Newcastle, was pretty unimpressed with the flags. And I was like, yeah, that's right, Union Jack and Australian flag and older version of a you know, classic symbol of inclusiveness. This is a bit tone deaf. This is pretty fucked. And then my concern was that the crowd was like, oh, what is a flag signifying inclusiveness doing near the classic and important flags of the Union Jack and the Australian flag? And I was like, it was just a really divisive um, thing to like it was it was up there it was alongside broadcasting a 50 meter face of Johnny Depp doing side language and it was just the it really fucking threw out my night of like what the fuck are we doing here what is this I mean yeah, this is my point right like two things mm. number one he didn't even have the balls to weigh in on like Israel and Gaza like he didn't even have the balls to like talk about something that's actually happening in the world right now mm-hmm he also didn't have the balls to weigh in on the voice because clearly he's like, we're in Australia. I'll just wave the Australian flag. But also, yep. I guess this is my point, right? Seeing the Beatles in the 60s would have been life-changing, mm-hmm. right? Like, it would have been. It would have been like, you know, you probably would have started a band. We'd all be, I don't know what, what would have happened, but it would be amazing, Yeah, we right? wouldn't be podcasting. We would be Beatles. We'd be in a band. <laughs> We'd be in the Beatles. We'd also be in the Beatles, right? We would. <laughs> <laughs> Also, like those. We'd be in the easy beats, actually, we're in Australia. Those yeah. records from the 60s still exist. Like, you can listen to those. Like, any, mm. like that's the amazing thing about recorded music. Yeah. Anytime you want to hear it them, they're there. Away. You don't have to go to a live show to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? So, controversial opinion, but the point of seeing Paul McCartney live now on a big stage in a regional New South Wales town with a bunch of musicians who have nothing to do with the reason you love him. Sing songs that you know and have heard too many times. Like, like, sure. Like, I'm not, I'm not discounting anyone's experience, but I kind of am, and I'm kind of saying at some point, engage. Like, there's so much exciting new music happening all the time, and there's bands crying out to be discovered. There are bands and artists being like, it's so hard to be an artist right now. And I think part of it is the fucking endless nostalgia machine that's making us think of old music and old bands and think of these over and over again. Paul McCartney doesn't need any more music. He shouldn't be touring. Like, fuck, so, enjoy so, your life. So See your family. Point. Let's linger on that point, right? Which I think is a very good point well made. Like, uh, let's just make up that tickets averaged out at $300 Australian a ticket. Like, they're very, very expensive tickets. Some of them more expensive. I expect some of them less expensive than that. But so let's just take that as an average. Capacity for this thing is 20,000 people. So let's say that's $6 million Australian dollars through the door. 
there was fireworks, licensing would be insane, so much security, renting the venue. I like I'm sure monstrous amount. Let's say it cost three and a half, four million dollars to put on. Um, you gotta pay those fucking filthy cops. Oh no, like we like we don't go into the cops too much, do we? I'm I'm not the biggest you gotta pay those those cops for hanging around doing nothing. <laughs> um they need to get their slice as well. I um, love I love how hardcore and militant you are about supporting the downtrodden and like saving the world. And you've also just started your own law firm. Yeah, well, I know I haven't started it. Poitch uh, <laughs> Trading PTY Limited, <laughs> who's the trading company, the sole shareholder in whom is Poitch Holdings PTY Limited, <laughs> who's the trustee of my family trust. And who? And you, you, you're going to have to fucking figure out for yourself who the beneficiaries of that trust might be. I've got no obligation to disclose that to you, and I don't plan to. So who even knows? <laughs> who even knows? Look, here's my point, right? Like, here's mm. my point in a really fucking simple, easy-to-understand sentence. Despite yep. the fact that Paul McCartney is now an industry and everywhere he goes he's, like, a job creator and whatever, <laughs> despite all that, yep. how different would the world be if older people still listen to new music? Uh, like... I don't want to get distracted. Like, I know we're here to do a podcast, but I find this super interesting, right? Right. <laughs> and I feel like anyone who follows this podcast may potentially be interested in our thoughts on this. Like, the kind of, like, monoculture, like, hyper nostalgia, like, even with streaming services now, my understanding is that because of the way, like, part of this writer's strike that I've done zero research on, so I'm shooting from the hip, fucking old boomer white guy style. But the reason, like, part of the reason... Um, is that these ongoing payments that actors and writers of older shows are entitled to, the name of which, Shag, you'll be able to tell me, but those ongoing royalties are expensive. And so if you're Netflix and you're only getting your 15 bucks a month from Household A or whatever the amount is, you're sort of divvying that amount up to people who've already made a performance, right? So you're mm-hmm. divvying that up on old episodes of Arrested Development or whatever it might be, when, in fact, most people are watching show X or whatever it might be. And so you actually are incentivized to have as few shows on your streaming service, even if you have fucking made them in order just to make sure you you're only playing the hits. Like Spotify is a little better than that. I, I expect you to agree, but for the like streaming services, they're kind of incentivized to just play all the Paul McCartney hits from the past and do very little other than that. And it's just a grim dystopic future. We find ourselves in. Oh, and then like anti, physical media culture as well. So it's like you can't even really go out and be like, well, I'll buy DVDs from filmmakers I like Mm. or whatever it might be because we are now living in a media culture that is hostile to physical media. And so fucking I'm so bummed about the outcome of the referendum, Shag, still that it (laughs) makes me sort of tiredly angry and just grimly resigned. And I will say as well, like how many hundreds of thousands of Australians went and saw... Paul McCartney play. Oh. And in my opinion, the best song of the year is by a UK artist called Jim Legacy. I just checked. It's still only yep. got 98,000 views on YouTube. Just go look it up. It's a song called Old Place by Jim Legacy. He's yep. got an X where I think an E should be in his name yes. if you can't find it. It's a perfect song. It goes for one and a half minutes. And the world would be a better place if we engage with new stuff rather than old stuff. Anyway, I digress. We digress. This mm. has been a weird episode, but... Things change, things stay the same. Friendship homework. I do peach 
Yes. View the videos you send me. And one of the videos you yes. sent me, and you weren't the only one, oh, people sent okay. it through our Insta, was something that happened a couple of months ago. People were talking about uh, like an annual poll that comes out every year. It's called The Science of Scare or something, where they use science to determine the scariest films of all time. Mm. And look, it's not a perfect study. It purely measures heart rate. And I guess I'm like, look, I'm not a scientist. You're not a scientist. You Whoa, listening probably hey, aren't well, a scientist. I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, fuck. I'm getting, I'm getting a bit peached today. I'm so sorry. I don't know what where this fire's coming from. What does a bit me mean? Am I a fiery character sometimes, am I? Yeah, oh. you're the one that starts beefs. You're the okay. one that's confrontational. Yeah, okay. No, no, I'm the sort fair. of, I'm the one that's like, hey, ooh, easy. <laughs> ooh, not touching that one. It's classic. <laughs> it's more classic peach controversy. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah, like, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a metric that can, mm. you know, that can measure fear. I'm not saying it's perfect. And there's lots of reasons why people's heart rates spike. But anyway, mm. it came out this year and they've updated their list. And one of the films on the list came from, like, uh, I've wanted to talk about because it's another piece of friendship homework from another person who wrote in and was like, hey, how come you guys have never covered Insidious? I'm guessing because it's <gasps> been over 200 episodes, there must be a reason. And I was like, yeah, it is weird we never covered that series at all. And I think for me, the reason was, and I mean no shade, like, well, like, I can't mean this without shade, but I don't mean mm. to be, like, you know, glibly mean. But it's it was just a very forgettable film. It's one of those films where I was like, Whoa, I couldn't even remember. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shag, you, you do want it with everyone today. Okay, let's get it. No, I'm just trying to explain. Like, I haven't purposefully chosen not to do it, but I have clearly subconsciously just forgotten about this film because it was one of those films where I was like, have I seen it? And then I read the Wikipedia synopsis and I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen it. And actually... Actually, this is one of those films, Peach, get mm. ready for this, where the Wikipedia synopsis is a fucking thrill ride. So I'm okay. super excited. I'm really excited for today's episode. So, so today, Peach, we are going back to 2010 for the original film in one of the biggest franchises in contemporary horror, Insidious. Ready? Yeah. Hey, sweetie. Morning, guys. <laughs> 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 He's not in a coma. They don't know what to call it. This is Rose Byrne and the guy who's like a meme for being the least recognisable famous guy in the world. <laughs> it is Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Is his name. I expect he's super swagged out and um, charismatic. There's something in there with him. I know someone who can help. We took Trifield and EMF readings of the whole house, wiring, alarm clocks. I don't think bad wiring is the problem here. I want to leave. I want to leave this house. 
It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. Oh, sick. Shag, I thought Patrick Wilson played like one of a couple who like saved saved lives or like found out about hauntings and that in kind of thing. In the conjuring. In the conjuring. I think there's a problem. There's a number of films in the teens that all kind of feel similar. Insidious, Sinister, and The Conjuring Universe all kind of feel, and I think they do overlap somehow, but they all kind of feel a bit similar. They all have the same, like, you know, they all kind of share the same actors. And Patrick Wilson is a great actor, but he's, I, I don't know how to say this nicely, he's very, it's not even like he's vanilla. It's like he's, it's like he's the salted caramel of flavors. Yeah, like, nice, 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 nice. Like he's good at what he does, but he's so ubiquitous that it's not a thing that you'd even notice anymore. It's a challenge, right? Because why? Like, why do you why do you cast a star? Like, you partly want the execution of their skills, and you partly want the branding they'll bring into the marketplace, I guess. And so with this guy, you sort of want that, maybe not name recognition, but face recognition, and you also want their... Peach, that's 100% it, right? Like, you don't Mm. want a star to overshadow it, but you do want that thing when you're watching a trailer being like, I know that person, cool, I'm going to keep paying attention. Yeah, nice. So you need someone who's so forgettable that the moment you see their face, you're like, I've seen you in a hundred films, but you, you get don't men like. In black. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, right. You get men in black. Patrick Wilson is the version of that little. <laughs> thing. That's he is it. the men in black stick. Oh my god. I also want to talk about like I don't like there. There is a there is a red faced demon in this film mm. as a main antagonist, but the way they stylize Insidious, it's I N in white then S-I in red, then the rest of the word in white again. And I'm like, I, like, uh, like I, I write for a living and, you know, come up with creative stuff for a living. And even I'm like, see? See. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why, that, why, why it's stylized that way. And you've seen the film and read a very good Wikipedia synopsis yeah. about it. So it's, like, look, it's... Actually, yeah, let's get to this. I'm so sorry. This has been I actually I think I take responsibility for this, Shag. I feel like <laughs> I threw us under the under the under the bus a little bit on law firm chat. Then I got distracted about like being grumpy with software. Then I was like, oh, I actually originally <laughs> intended to talk about Paul McCartney. So I think if this one's a bit of a fizzer, your old boy Peach slash capitalism is the bad guy. There was once a comment we had that was like they talk a bit too much about hip-hop and cricket, but when they get to the films, it's okay. So, to you, here we are. We got there. Yes. We got there in the end. <laughs> we made it. So, yeah, let's get to this. I'm sorry it's taken like 25 minutes because this is what you came for, and this is a fucking thrill ride, Peach. Are you ready for, like, one of the best Wikipedia synopsis we've done in ages? I'm ready for it to be undersold. So, let's, like, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. Let's go. So, married couple Josh and Raleigh Lambert have recently moved into a new home with their sons, Dalton and Foster, and their infant daughter, Callie. One evening, Dalton sneaks into the attic where he encounters a mysterious and spooky entity, 
The next day, he inexplicably slips into a coma. So, the Wikipedia used the term mysterious and spooky? I added the and spooky. But they, okay. they had mysterious. Okay. I just wanted to emphasize it a little bit. I can't help but not embellish things. Shag, like you are a writer at heart. You're a curator. <laughs> you're a writer. You need to enrich my experience of these things. I'm grateful. Three months later, with no results at the hospital, and I imagine like three months in a hospital in an American hospital, they must be like hemorrhaging money at this point. Oh, God. American healthcare. Capitalism, the bad guy again. Renee and Josh take Dalton back home. The family starts to experience frightening paranormal events, including strange noises and their home security alarm going off on its own repeatedly. Foster also claims he has seen the comatose Dalton walking around the house, and Renee finds a bloody handprint in Dalton's bed. So remember, nice. Dalton, and, Dalton and Foster are the two kids, the two sons. Yes. And Dalton is the one who is currently still, still in a coma. In the coma. Dalton in a coma. I'm with you. Later, Renee begins to see a fiendish, long-haired apparition that tries to attack her. The Lamberts decide to move, with Renee believing the house to be haunted. Do we see this fiendish apparition at this stage? It's like his Ricky Red face at this stage? Yeah, you see hints of things. But I I don't think in this film you ever get, like, a full-on, by the way, like, you never get the, like, proper, like, everything's always, like, flashes of scariness. I feel like it's, it's a pretty effective jump scare film is what was delivered to me and a pretty effective um, corner-of-the-screen-style jump-scare film. So this, apparently, according to the yearly, you know, um, scariest films of all time, is the fourth scariest film of all time. What's number one? Uh, Sinister, which also we haven't covered, because I was <clears throat> I always confuse Sinister and Insidious. Yeah, they do sound exactly the same. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, however, even though they've moved, the supernatural mm. activity continues in their new home when Renee sees the ghost of a young child dressed in period attire. Josh's mother, Lorraine, arrives and explains she had a nightmare about a demon with a red face in Dalton's bedroom. She later sees the same demon behind Josh, the dad, and Dalton's bedroom is ransacked by unseen forces. Yeah, okay. Lorraine, so, co- yeah, go. No, yep. no, like, like, I'm, so I'm trying to soak it in, Shag. I know I'm interrupting, but I, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy and sort of soak up mm. the most exciting Wikipedia synopsis we've got. How are we <laughs> feeling now? Like, is it kind of tension building or are we like, all right, we've got a red face demon, like we've got to get there. What's, what sort of mood are we in? Well, we've gone from we're in a ha- haunted house to be like, no, hang on, something's t- like <sighs> something wasn't just, we weren't just disturbing a ghost in a house. Something's targeting us. And we're now starting to get an idea of this demon with a red face is that thing that's targeting us. So yes. the ransacked room, the bloody handprint, all that stuff. And, you know, even the mum being like, I, I had a vision too, means, okay, something's happening that we can't quite explain. Yeah, so, nice. Okay, I'm having fun. As you do, mum Lorraine calls psychic Elise Rainier and her paranormal investigators Spex and Tucker. In Dalton's bedroom... Elise sees a vision of the red-faced demon. Okay. We get a vibe that she might be a bit of a quack, a bit of a fraudster, but she proves herself fairly promptly, or, or is there no question? No, as no, to no, because it's all a bit funny, and they, they do this well where it's like whenever the paranormal investigators come in, it's never quite a, oh, the day's sa- like you're safe now. It's more ever so slightly comedic relief. Oh, okay. A little bit of a deep breath, yeah. a little bit of levity. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and there's this... There's, there's this nice bit of validation of being like, no, this is happening and I've seen it. 
But there's also this like, well, what now? Like, yeah. how do we, what do we do about this? Elise explains, now this is where it starts to get cool. Elise explains that Dalton is not in a coma. He was born with the ability to astral project his consciousness and had been unknowingly doing so in his sleep, believing he was simply dreaming. Yes. This time, he has traveled too far and has been captured in a purgatory dimension called the Further, a place inhabited by the tortured spirits of the deceased. Okay. How good is this, right? Yeah, I'm like, I'm having a good time. Okay. Even I'm like, fuck, like this was like, I couldn't even remember this film, but I'm like, oh no, this is cool. Without his consciousness present, his body is comatose, but spirits desire to use it so they can re-enter the physical world. So he's kind of become this like doorway. An empty vessel kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Josh accuses Elise of being a scam artist and throws her out but later find scary drawings in Dalton's room that Ooh, seem to confirm- scary drawings. Tick your bingos. Too scary, too scary in watch style. Yeah, nice. That seem to confirm Elisa's theory. So Josh brings Elise and her team back after an attempted seance goes horribly wrong. I also want, like, again, like, not to go back to you starting a law firm, but if mm. you were starting, like, a psychic firm, I mm. think a lot of your business, because you have to plan for all eventualities, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have to plan. Well, I don't have to do shit, but points points (laughs) trading can do. So points trading has to plan for all eventualities, right? Yeah. I would imagine if you were starting a psychic company, one of the things you'd have to sort of budget for Mm. is the fact that you'd be contracted by people, but they'd initially be like, oh, I don't believe any of this. And then the things would keep happening and then they'd recontract you. So, like, one of the great business models is your kind of subscription model, isn't it? You sign someone up for, like, regular payments rather than a one-off transaction. <laughs> so, Shag, are you suggesting that psychics are, like, are onto a pretty good model of, like, hey, we sorted it out for this month. Let us know next month if the ghost comes back. Well, no, what I'm saying is it's, like, it would be actually pretty tricky for business to be, like, cool, I've got a job. And then halfway through the job, they're, like, you're a scam artist. And it's, like, okay, well, give me my, like, $200 call-out fee. And then the real money comes when actually, no, it turns out to be real and they call you back and it's like, okay, now let's fucking talk about an invoice. Yeah, nice. You renegotiate your fee then. You're like, yeah, right, scam artist, hey? Oh, it looks pretty <laughs> urgent. Oh, <laughs> looks, looks pretty urgent now. Oh, you probably call a different psychic. What do you reckon? <laughs> I can do it if you want, but yeah, plenty of good psychics it's just, out there. I'm you. just like, my fee, oh, it's just... Well, I've just got a lot on at the moment. And so there are a lot of clients I'd have to say no to if I was going to take this job. So, But, Peach, capitalism's the bad guy. No, no, Shag, the free market will sort it out for you. The free market will de-haunt your fucking house for you. All right, <laughs> Just okay. let the market do its thing. Let the invisible hand do its work, Shag. After an attempted seance goes horribly wrong, Elise explains that she has... Okay, this is cool. Elise yes. explains that she has known Lorraine, the mum, for decades and had previously helped Josh when he was a child. Josh also possesses the ability to astral project, but had suppressed his memory of it years ago with Elisa's help after she helped him beat the parasitic spirit of an evil old woman that wanted to possess him. So... Yes, okay, this is a big twist. That's exciting. And the only way to rescue Dalton is for Josh to use his power to go into the further and save him. Oh... This is such a nice line between horror and fantasy as well. Like, I, like, I really like the, like, it's a demon dimension and you've got to magically go in there. Um, oh, Shag, I'm having a good time. Let's go. It's not very, like, insidious, though. Like, 
what's what's the what's the what's the definition of insidious yeah yeah that's a good question Shag, what? Like, you tell me your definition and I'll... I'll. <laughs> I don't know. Like, let me look it up. Maybe Insidious has, like, a slightly different meaning than I think it does. Yeah, it kind of means, like, impossible to avoid, like, evil and negative and sort of difficult to avoid and... Yeah, proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. I don't think that's necessarily mm. what's happening here. I guess. It's like, it's, I guess it's my thing. It's like, you can't... You can't call an idea the strategy behind it. And the strategy yeah. is we want to create a spirit. You can't call a scary movie scary. Yeah. You can't be like, it's scary the movie. Watch out. Back to trademark law, Shag. It's too descriptive to trademark. That's good. <laughs> and and so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think that's one I, of the like, reasons why. I don't why... know how they ever got a trademark for the car called the Suzuki Swift. Right? <laughs> Everyone wants to call their car fast. Right? <laughs> Everyone wants to use that name in their fucking thing. It's I a bird. How... They named it after the bird. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, anyway, all right, okay. So, Elise puts Josh in a hypnotic mm. trance and he's able to project himself into the further. He finds his way to Dalton, encountering multiple dangerous and horrifying ghosts along the way. Now, Dalton is trapped in the room that belongs to the red-faced demon. He frees his son, but they are chased and attacked by the red-faced demon while the spirits of the further invade the real world and terrorize Renee, Elise, and the others. Yeah, okay. Josh is confronted by the old woman that tormented him as a child. He tries once and for all to overcome his fear, and she appears to retreat from him. Josh and Dalton wake up in the real world, and the invading spirits vanish. Oh, I'm ready for a twist now. Okay, everything's fine, Shag. Yeah, 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 let's go. The family celebrates their victory, believing that the nightmare is over. Elise senses that something is amiss about Josh. When she snaps a photo of him, Josh becomes angry and strangles her. Renee discovers Elise's corpse and sees the photograph she took, and it's actually the old woman. So Josh has been taken yes. over by the old woman from his childhood, the latter having slipped into his body when he confronted her in the further. Josh then appears behind Renee, and she lets out a frightened gasp. Yes. And that's the end of Sinister Part 1. Yeah. Sorry, that's the end of Insidious Part 1. It's Part 1, same thing, same thing. Oh, Shag, that is thrilling. That's a great end as well. And a really nice, like, I, I can see why a franchise spun out from that. Chance oh, to totally. hang out with Pat, Patrick Wilson being a bad guy. Such a, such a lovely gent. Who would, who would turn the opportunity down to see him playing against type? Like, so, like, I want to hear about all the sequels now, immediately. Is it, were we just going to war with old lady, old lady Patrick Wilson? Yeah, okay. Well, no, Peach, we will cover them, but. Based on this timeline, I just don't know when you're going to hear it. So, yes, we will cover <laughs> we the Insidious. We already covered them. Fuck, imagine if we already have. <laughs> oh, they were good fun. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?